In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went out from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and singing glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. believe in miracles. Those words were shouted by Al Michaels in 1980 when the USA hockey team defeated the seemingly unbeatable Russian national team in the Winter Olympics. Do you believe in miracles? Oh, we throw that word miracle around, don't we? Sometimes we use the word miracle in a a bit of a cynical fashion, kind of like 
They made it on time. It's a miracle. Oh, and we all know who they are. Other times, we get down on our knees and pray to God for a miracle. Maybe you're there right now. When my wife and I decided to to try and have children, we had no idea how long and difficult a road it would be, the miracles that would be required to make it happen. Through the disappointment of miscarriage after miscarriage and infertility treatments and all kinds of disappointment, we needed a miracle. But others of us said, well, we're too rational and logical to think about things like miracles. I don't believe in all that supernatural stuff. And others of us, because of disillusion and disappointment, have just kind of given up on the whole idea because we've prayed and we've prayed, and it seemed as though God never answered our prayer. In 2003, something spectacular happened in my own life. In 2003, I had the privilege of holding a miracle because it was that year that my daughter, against all circumstances, was born. Matter of fact, the first sermon I ever gave as a pastor after she was born, she was less than a month old. I entitled the sermon, Holding a Miracle, and I held her in my arms during the entire 30-minute sermon. Over 2,000 years ago, in a backwater, middle-of-nowhere kind of place, a miracle happened to a seemingly insignificant couple in a apparently irrelevant period of history. A moment ago, we we heard Luke's version of that story. Whenever I hear Luke's version of the story of Jesus' birth, I'm always taken by the shepherds. Luke writes that there were shepherds living in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night, as shepherds so often do. And an angel appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they they were terrified, as we would all be. If we were minding our own business, then all of a sudden, some angels just showed up out of nowhere, terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those whom on his favor rests. And when the angel left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Let's go see this thing that has happened. Because something, something happened. And it changed the whole world. So much so that here we are still talking about it and celebrating it thousands of years later. This something that happened began, as all important things do, with an announcement. Oh, because when something's important, we want people to know about it. Which is why, right around this time, I remind people that my birthday is coming. It's February 10th. Write it down. It'll be here before you know it. I want people to know. But the most significant announcement, proclaiming the most profound of events, was announced to shepherds. I mean, of all the people 
that could have received this message. The emperor, those that sat in seats of power or influence or economics. No, it it did not come to them. It, it came to some some shepherds. No, there's lots of theories as to who these shepherds were. Some some historians believe that maybe these were not normal shepherds. They were Levitical shepherds. Shepherds that were in charge of raising the flocks that would be sacrificed in the temple for worship in Jerusalem. Those, those sheep without blemish. And maybe that's true. Others suggest that, no, these were shepherds that were outcasts. They were filthy, they were dirty, they, they lived with sheep. They were not trustworthy, so much so that they were not allowed to give testimony in the court of law because they were that unreliable. So dirty, in fact, that they couldn't even go to the temple to worship because they were unclean. I suppose that's plausible. However, when you you consider the Bible, the Old Testament seems to have a positive view of shepherds. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were shepherds. King David, the man after God's own heart, was a shepherd. And Jesus himself referred to himself as the good shepherd. And so I, I guess I would throw my opinion into the mix and say, I think these were just regular people doing a regular job, trying to make a regular living, much like you and much like me. These, these guys, they had one job. Take care of the sheep. Tend to the sheep. Don't leave the sheep. But when this message arrives, it was so special, so unique, that they left everything. They left their one job to go and see what this thing was that had happened. And the angel said it was good news. I wonder, have we, have we maybe forgotten in the Christian church that the message of the gospel is actually good news? Oh, we tend to wrap it in guilt and shame and oughts and shoulds. But at its core, at its heart, in its simplicity, it's good news. Now this, this phrase, good news, would not have been insignificant because when Emperor Augustus was born, the emperor of the time, when his birth was announced, it was announced as good news because he was believed to be the savior of the people. So imagine the disruption when another king is born. Another king is proclaimed to have good news. Another king is proclaimed to have the the answers to be the savior. Oh, that would have been politically well de- debilitating. And when we we take this message, this good news, oh, and we moralize it, we politicize it, we economize it, weaponize it, and consume it, forgetting that it really is good news of great joy, like great joy. Do you experience joy? I was talking with my wife just a week ago, and we were just having a conversation about our life, and our, our life is, is pretty good. Our marriage is good. Our kids are doing good. Everything in life seems to be doing well. Everything is, there's nothing bad happening. And, and yet I said to her, in the midst of all that, it just seems as though it's been a while since I've experienced great joy. Maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nothing's wrong, but maybe it's just all the little things of life that start to wear on you and push on you and maybe still a little bit of that joy. Oh, and it usually is the little things. Like I, if you've been around, you know, the last few Christmases, I have, I have complained and 
and pontificated about my contentious relationship that I have with Christmas lights on my house. Every year is such an epic fail. Three years ago, I kind of gave up and I hired somebody, which was a disaster. I mean, he totally ripped me off. He put these cheap lights on my house, made my house look like a rager, not a Christmas house. I was so frustrated. So the next year, last year, we decided to once again do it ourselves, and my wife and I put the lights on our house and our bushes, and it actually came out pretty good, and it was great for about a week until my dog chewed through all the wires, and that was the end of that. And so this year, we gave it one last college try, and we put the lights up higher so the dog couldn't get them, bought nice lights, lights that had movement, and, and they were beautiful. Simple, but good. And then I pulled into my house like five days ago, and two of the strings just stopped working. I had no idea why. It was, I checked the power. I, I don't know. They just stopped working. And I, I, I paused and I just thought, am I really that pathetic that I can't even get the Christmas lights on my house to, to work? I mean, am I, am I that worthless? I mean, I know I'm not, but have you ever just kind of felt that way where you just, oh, seriously? Maybe it makes you feel a little weary. But then I hear the words of the song we just sang a moment ago. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I love that line, and the soul felt its worth, because Christmas reminds us what our soul is worth to God. And that can cause us, even in seasons of weariness, to rejoice, not because of circumstances, but because of something much, much deeper. This good news, it's great joy for for all people. Not some people, all people. Not my words, those are the words of the angel. John, in his retelling of the story of Jesus' birth. He he writes, And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Yet to all who did receive him. So, So why is it then, it seems, though, there are so many divisions in the Christian church, denominations, and this denomination says that denomination is not a real Christian, and this denomination says that's not a real Christian. What happened to good news of great joy for all people? I mean, what we realize at Christmas is that Jesus himself is the revelation of who God is and what God is like. Now, sometimes we, we misrepresent him. I know I've misrepresented him from time to time. Maybe you're here this this weekend and you're here because it's Christmas, but you've essentially given up on God. You've given up on church. You've got some hurt, probably because someone misrepresented God. But when we turn to who Jesus actually is, we recognize that God himself is so powerful, powerful enough to initiate a virgin birth, and yet vulnerable enough to come as a baby. I mean, what's more vulnerable than a baby? A baby depends on its caregiver for everything. God himself came to earth and needed his diaper changed by his parents. Oh, that's vulnerable. And humble, he became 
one of us. The, the, the lineage that Jesus was born into wasn't even a perfect family. Now, when you, when you turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first chapter, what you find is a genealogy. Most people, when they read Matthew, just skip over it because it's all these names we can't pronounce. But in Jesus' day, a genealogy was important because a genealogy functioned much like a resume functions for us today. It told others who we were, what we could do, where we come from. And in, in Jesus' day, just like today, they tried to make themselves look good. So if there were some shady characters in their family lineage, they'd just leave them out of the out of the genealogy. Crazy uncle there, he's out. Don't put him in there. But not in Jesus's. They're all there. Even a prostitute is listed in the lineage of Jesus. And I think that's intentional because it reminds me that Jesus' genealogy drips with the grace and mercy of God. And that's what we're invited to this Christmas. That's what we're welcomed into. I think if we're honest, all of us desire and long to be noticed. We want someone to say that we're significant, that what happens to us matters. I mean, that really is the heart of the incarnation. And our only response to it is to receive it, to fully receive it. The shepherds heard this message and they said, we've got to go and see. We've got to go and see this thing that the Lord has done. Mary, as she held Jesus in her arms, the resurrection and the life, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, as she held the creator of the cosmos in her arms, the scripture said that she treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. This Christmas, I'm attempting to live with a bit more attentiveness, a bit more clarity on my life and my faith. I recognize the world can be a dark place, a disappointing place. Sometimes things don't go my way, and God never promised they would. God never promised it would be easy, and God never promised he would answer all of our prayers exactly as we prayed them. But the Creator loved me enough to come, to be born, and ultimately to die. And my only response is to be receptive. When I was when I was a kid, elementary school, middle school, Christmas for our family was the same every year. We would go to my grandmother's house on Christmas Eve in the Riverside neighborhood of Buffalo, New York, where I grew up. And we would begin the evening by going to Christmas Eve Mass at All Saints Church. And then we would come home after church and dinner was always the same on Christmas Eve. It was pizza and wings. And no, we don't call them buffalo wings because we're from Buffalo. We invented them. We know where they, they come from. And by the way, buffalo wings, they only come in three flavors. It's not like teriyaki. It's three. Mild, medium, and hot. That's it. And it's always dipped in blue cheese, not ranch. You start dipping in ranch and buffalo, you go to jail. I mean, that's just what it is, so... I don't know, go Bills. So we would, we would eat our pizza and wings, and then, then like the apex of the evening was we'd gather on the Christmas tree and open, open Christmas gifts. And I had a big family, a lot of people, Christmas presents piled high. And as a kid, that was like the moment, oh, the gifts. Well, my mom and her sister had this really annoying habit. They would make everybody, we would like open one gift at a time so everyone could see what was given and received. And as a child, as pure torture, especially if you got 20, 25 people and you receive a box that you know is closed, you got to wait 20 more people to make sure you get something good, right? That, that was very difficult as a child, but, 
But when we got a box that was not shaped like clothes, and we knew it was going to be a toy, maybe G.I. Joe or Star Wars or something cool, oh, the excitement would build. And when it was our moment, everybody would watch and we would open up the present. It would be so exciting. Is it going to be the the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier I always wanted but never seemed to get? Rip open the present with excitement as everyone watched. But then imagine... I ripped it open and then just just stopped. Taking off the wrappings, but never opening the box. I think for a lot of us, Christmas can become like that. Oh, Christmas is filled with its shiny activities that we love. We, we come to church because it's Christmas, and we do Christmas dinner and open gifts and sing Christmas carols, and, but then it's over for another year. Forgetting that when you receive a gift, what's important is not the opening of the gift, but the receiving of what's inside. And the gift that we celebrate at Christmas is not a gift that's intended to be opened once a year, but a gift that's intended to be enjoyed all year. The gift of Christ isn't for one day. It's for all of life. So maybe the invitation this year is not to just unwrap Christmas, but to actually take the gift out of the box. Maybe the gift of Christmas this year is to receive the gift of what it is that we celebrate and represent, not just today, but throughout the year. Because this child that was born came with a mission, a mission to show you how much your soul was worth and how much he was willing to give for it. So God, I, uh, I am grateful for today. I am grateful for the gift that is Christmas, for what it represents, what it means, that you came as a vulnerable child, and it was good news, filled with great joy for all people. And so once again this year, I want to take the gift and receive it fully into my life. And I'm grateful, oh God. Let us receive you. Let us rejoice.